So good morning, Kettlebrook. So Steve also always does a great job with that. Um, for those of you guys that don't know me, my name is David Sizdak. Uh, I am so happy to be here speaking in front of you guys this morning. Uh, most of you guys know me from more so around that area, playing guitar. Um, but the youth actually know me more so as uh, being in this position of speaking, being uh, uh, more of the teacher in the morning or at our youth group nights. Um, but this morning we're going to continue our series uh, called Flip, uh, which is us looking at Matthew 5 through 7. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is actually Jesus' big first message he ever gave. Um, and the reason why we call it Flip is because of the fact that um, the idea being that the human nature, our culture itself, um, do things completely opposite to the way that Jesus calls us to live and the way that he lived his own life. Um, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus, Jesus is hitting these huge topics. Um, it's, it's weird because, it's, it's, again, it's his first big recorded message, and the first thing he does is go into huge items that uh, so many people are wrestling with, so many people were shamed about, so many people were trying to live by these rules. So he goes into issues like anger, he goes into issues like pride, uh, Prayer, fasting, adultery, uh, giving to the needy, divorce, and loving your enemy. And today, we're actually going to be talking about judgment. Uh, and we're going to be finding that in, in Matthew 7, uh, the start of Matthew 7. Um, but I want to make it very clear that Jesus didn't wait for this moment to talk about judgment because it was enough time for us to, to, to get enough arrows in our quiver to shoot at other people, to talk about divorce, and to talk about um, how we're supposed to serve and, and the way that we're supposed to tackle anger. No, he, wa- he wasn't doing that for, for us to uh, up our ammunition. And he actually waited to this point because he actually wanted us to self-examine ourselves. He wanted us to look at our hearts. He didn't want us to actually have all this ammunition to judge others. He wanted us to be prepared to examine ourselves. And so many people, unfortunately, don't. So many people actually take that, and they'll take these verses, they'll take everything that, that we've been learning over this, this summer, and they'll, they'll go and they'll judge others. They'll, they'll take it and they'll charge with it, and they'll say, this is why you're wrong and I'm right. And yet Jesus, again, he, he's coming from a completely different perspective. It looks completely counterintuitive. It looks completely against the culture. It's completely flipped. But he says, no, I want you to actually evaluate your own heart. And if, if, if you're here this morning, and every single week that you've been coming, and every single week you've been leaving with these messages, and, and your first inclination is, man, I wish so-and-so was here to listen to this message. Unfortunately, that puts us in the place of judging others in the place where we're that we actually don't think that Jesus' words are actually meant for our own heart. And so, again, if you happen to be there this morning, this is not to shame you. This is not to guilt you. This is to hopefully open our eyes to realize that Jesus isn't just talking to the masses, but he's talking to our own heart. And so, this morning, let, let's, let's dive into that. Let's, let's look into that and how Jesus actually wants to rescue us, how he wants to continue to redeem us, how he doesn't want us to leave us in our sin, but he wants to bring us alongside him into the kingdom work. And so pray with me this morning. And so, Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to be up here this morning. Thank you so much that um, 
You have revealed so much about this passage. Um, so God, as, as we look into it, this is, this is a heavy topic. And so, um, Father, let us be able to examine our own hearts the way that you wanted us to. Let us be able to be guided by the Spirit to be able to look at these words this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So again, uh, as I said, uh, I usually speak to the youth. I usually don't speak up here. You guys usually hear me maybe once, possibly twice a year, if if I could sneak up on here and they don't catch me. Um, (laughs) But uh, just speaking once or twice a year, you guys usually don't get to know me as well as you would be able to get to know Troy or Mike or Ryan. Um, So... Uh, I'm going to kind of catch you up on my last year so you guys can, we can kind of build that little connection. Uh, so this last year has actually been super full for me. Uh, there's just been a, been a lot going on. It's not always been highs, but God has brought me to a place where I know him more, I love Jesus more, and I hate sin more. And it's been a cool experience. Uh, it hasn't been the easiest. Uh, I wish it, it could be easier, but it usually isn't the easy road. Um, but this is where I'm at. And so the past year, there's just been so many radical changes. Uh, as, as of 12 months ago, as a lot of you guys know, I came on to Kettlebrook uh, full-time, which has just been a complete blessing. It's been awesome. I've been able to grow so much and learn so much. Um, that's been awesome. The, the, the youth group in itself has just been growing and changing in ways that I never saw it going. And uh, just seeing God blessing in so many different ways. And it's been so cool. And it just, it just gets me going for, for the next year that's going to be coming up. Uh, one of the most, uh, my highs of the year, uh, if you want to pull up that picture, is uh, that I was, got married to my beautiful bride, Sally. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain how incredible it's been. I'm, I'm super stoked. It's, it's been awesome. Um, I've been married all of two and a half months. So if you need marriage advice, I gotcha. <laughs> um, today, I, 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 this gathering, I was supposed to have my sister here, but there was a little miscommunication, so she's going to meet me down in Jackson. But <laughs> there's another picture. Um, this is uh, my siblings, uh, the one in the middle, clearly. Um, doesn't look like the others, but I love him dearly. He's my brother-in-law. Uh, he made, married my sister on the right just a year or a year ago. I think it was a year ago. Um, but today um, I'm going to talk about the sister on the left. Um, her name is Kate. Uh, she's my beautiful little sister. Uh, Kate and I have been through quite a lot as siblings, um, to say the least. Uh, we used to have to, we would always go on road trips as families, and uh, we my parents mainly my mom, would make us do those little junior ranger things where, like, you have this huge... Some of you guys are like, yeah, I know what those are. I love keeping my kids busy. Us, we hated them. But then my mom would make us do it. So Kate and I, I remember Kate and I would be working on that kind of stuff. There was multiple times that she would be coming up and saying, oh, like when we were younger, oh, come and play Polly Pockets with me. And if she was persistent enough, I eventually would. Playing with dolls wasn't usually my thing. Uh, she also had uh, two gerbils growing up uh, until a cat ate one. But once she did have two gerbils, um, we would build these Lego mazes, and we'd have the gerbils actually run through the mazes. And um, unfortunately, we never reali- we never found out how to teach them how to run through a maze. They only just started biting the Legos. And so, <laughs> but that was all. Like these are just awesome memories I have of her running through the sprinkler. Uh, it's just been. It's, it's been cool to just remember as I've been pre- preparing for this message, just everything that Kate and I have gone through. Um, so we, we, we've had some really good times, um, but we've also had a, a, a pretty long season of a, of a really rough patch between her and I. 
Uh, the youth group knows this. Uh, but when Kate was younger, she started dating guys at, at, at a younger age than I thought she should be dating. And as the older brother, I'm like, all right, like, I need to protect her from scumbags, say the least. <laughs> so... Um, the thing is, is that I had no idea how to actually protect her or what it actually looked like to be an older brother in that. Um, and so as an older brother, I'm, I'm just trying to do all these things. I initially try and love her and tell her, hey, Kate, I don't think you should be dating. And so we, we like have trying to have a heart to heart. And um, you know what? She listened and she said she wasn't going to date until she was 35. It was the greatest conversation. Um, no, actually, unfortunately, she, she continued to date and completely ignore me. And so what I did was just embrace her lovingly as the older brother that I am and just totally loved her through it. Unfortunately, that's not the case either. That, that was far from it. Um, she, kept, she just kept dating guys, and uh, it, it, just, it took me to a point of I didn't know what else to do because I, I saw something is wrong, and she, she clearly just didn't get it. Um, and so I would just start antagonizing her. I would just start uh, doing all I could to just try and get her to see my point. Uh, again, the youth group knows this. Uh, I would actually stop calling her boyfriends by their names, and I would actually call them their number of the boyfriend they were. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and so um, it got especially hard when it was one of my friends that had to be a number for a while. So, <laughs> but I stuck with it. I was persistent. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could say that's all I did too, um, but unfortunately that's not the case. Uh, so since she still didn't believe me, I thought because talking wasn't enough, I should start yelling and I should start screaming. Because clearly, if, if you don't if you don't hear my voice when I'm talking to you, I should yell, and that would get my point across, right? Um, so that that clearly didn't work. Um, there was another time. Again, I wish I wish that was it. Um, but there was another time that uh, the yelling wasn't enough and she was in her room with a boy and her door was closed. And I don't know exactly what I did, but eventually, rationally and of course, uh, there, there was a hole put in the wall or in the door. Um, I don't know if it was my foot or if it was my hand or my elbow or whatever, but somehow a, door, a hole ended up in the door um, because I didn't think that that was right. And you know what? Honestly, if you were to look me straight in the eye in those years and ask me if I, what, was I, what I was doing was right, I would look you straight in the face and say, yeah, completely. I don't think I'm in the wrong. I think what she's doing is wrong. And could there have been words of truth? You know, maybe. I don't really know. Um, was the way that I handled it correctly? By no means. Unfortunately, it wasn't at all. And do you know why it was, wasn't the right way to handle it? It's because everything I did was to judge her. Everything I did was to judge her. Even though I loved my sister dearly, and that's just unfortunately how it came out, the way that I was acting towards her, the way that I would talk to her, wouldn't show that. It wouldn't show that I cared for her or loved her. It actually would look a lot more like I tried shaming her. I tried guilting her. I tried condemning her. And so my first thought truly wasn't actually to love her, but it really was to condemn her. 
And so that's where we, we lead to our topic today on judgment. Uh, if you guys want to flip your Bibles with me to Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Uh, today we're going to be looking specifically at those verses, page 685 in the brown Bible is on the seats in front of you. And uh, so just follow along with me as I read. Uh, verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. That's the word of the Lord. So these are six verses. And there's like a lot in these that we can unpack and discover and uh, a lot that I've been able to learn from it. But the thing that God has impressed on me to really speak on this morning is that we are not called to condemn, but we are called to love people as Christ did, even in the midst of judgment. And so this may sound counterintuitive. Let's keep diving deeper into this and try and figure this out. And so verses 1 and 2 again. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So these are some heavy verses. If you ever take some time to just pause in this moment, you too will be judged. The same measure is going to be used against you. Like These are... These hold some weight to them. And these verses aren't just talking about, oh, if you judge others, that, they'll, that people will judge you harder. That might be true. But what context Jesus is speaking from is the way that you judge others is the way that God himself will judge you. If you don't have an advocate fighting for you, man, this is the way that God's going to judge you. Are we beginning to understand and comprehend the magnitude behind these verses? The, the, the emphasis Jesus was really trying to get across. Because this judgment that, that he's talking about, he, he means giving verdict or giving conclusion about something or someone. Looking to scholars, uh, I was reading up on it and they were kind of like, when they said do not judge, it says it's equivalent to stop criticizing others. Stop criticizing others. Because again, when Jesus is talking about all these things, divorce and anger and adultery and whatever else he's been talking about through uh, Matthew 5 and 6, he's not saying to judge others. Stop criticizing others. But start looking at yourself. Start examining your heart. Where's your heart in this? It's not that we can lose our salvation, but... That we have to realize the gravity that God holds on judgment. Do we understand that Jesus Christ has rescued us and took us out of judgment, even though we are the ones that aren't innocent? And if we do understand that, then we can't. There's absolutely no room for us to look at other people in the eyes of condemnation. We can't put a final sentence on other people if we truly understand what Christ has done for us. 
And even looking at this day and age, everyone is looking under everyone's other's actions and all their words through microscopes and analyzing them. And you see it posted on social media everywhere. I mean, how often does Donald Trump's tweets get put on to the news? Like, it's over and over again. But Christians today scarcely can afford to be judgmental. And it's usually not a place from a, a righteous point of view. This righteous judgment. Unfortunately, it's been more, Christians have been more known for this prideful stance on judgment. That we are so much about trying to tell people that they are wrong and that we are right and they have to know about it, so let's get our signs and let's start screaming at people. Do exactly what I did to my sister. And we go so far to try and correct others that we exclude any kind of love that Christ was so passionate about living out. I mean, that's what his life was. He constantly, everything he did overflowed with that love. And so what do we truly want to be known for? As Christ followers, the people that know the Lord Almighty that has rescued us and redeemed us, do we want to be known for our pursuit of justifying ourselves and our actions? Or do we want to be known for our pursuit in loving other people because of Christ? In other words to help us kind of look at a different perspective on this, is our first inclination to condemn people or to love people? This is really good for us to examine our hearts. Spouses, is your first thought to shame your spouse or is it to love them through their failures? Parents, is your first thought to place guilt on your children when they do something wrong or is it to, to walk alongside them lovingly and teach them what is right in the Lord? Children, the flip side, what's your first opinion of your parents when they try to discipline you in the way of love? What's, where's your heart at? Is our first inclination to condemn or love your friends, your, your co-workers, your teammates, your classmates? Because I, as I read more and more of who Jesus Christ is and the way that he lived his life and the way that he wants us to live our life, Judging like Christ looks a lot more like having a heart of compassion and redemption than this heart of condemnation. In the verses that I read earlier, judgment, when, it, when it's talking and uses the word judgment, it's definitely from a point of view of a, a negative connotation. Like it, again, it's talking about convicting people um, and this idea of condemning people. Um, because Jesus was in the place of talking about, let's, let's check our hearts. Stop criticizing others and let's examine our hearts. Because he, he saw so often and he knows that our hearts so badly want to be the high judge when God is the high judge. And so he's like, stop trying to be God and just realize his sovereignty in this. But let's take a step back and, and say that judgment isn't always this negative, this negative connotation. As Christ followers, we, we have hope in Christ. He took all the judgment, and when the Holy Spirit convicts, it's completely out of love, which we see right here that it, it's, it, there's this different way to judge. There's this different way to call out people in their lives. I mean, one of the, like, there's, there's so many jobs of the Holy Spirit, it's to guide and instruct, but it's also to convict. And we forget that sometimes, that it's his job to convict. It's this tap on the shoulder that God has for us and saying, you know, the, the way that you're living is not the right way. Come and follow me. And my, the life I have for you is so much better. Let go of any sin that, that you might be holding on to. 
Because at least for me, when I was reading this, I asked myself, well, isn't there a time that we can call out our brother? Isn't there a time that we can judge our brother? And there is. Galatians 1, or 6, 1, sorry. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Did you catch how we're supposed to call people out? If they are a brother, meaning they're, they're a Christ follower, those are the people that we're supposed to call out. And secondly, we're supposed to call them out in a way that restores them in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness being one of the fruit of the Spirit, something that overflows from us when Christ has redeemed our hearts and has continued to, redeeming our, to redeem our heart. And this verse, this verse in Galatians, it's, it's all around uh, the other verses that talk about bearing each other's burdens. And I think it's placed there specifically because when we call somebody out, we're not supposed to leave them in the dust, in their shame, in the pit of their, of their oppression or, or their anger or whatever else it might be. But we're actually supposed to bear the burden alongside them. We're actually supposed to, when we call that person out, we're supposed to sit with them in the muck of their life. We're supposed to walk with them and talk with them and r- remind them of who Jesus Christ is. And so we have this one side of, the ba- of a balance that, that, set, that talks about this judgment, this, this condemning, this, this, this awful place that, that Christ keeps talking about that we're supposed to stop criticizing others. Stop, point, stop placing final verdict or decision on somebody else's life. This is, this is God the Father's job. Stop judging. Stop criticizing. And so this is one side of the balance where we have the other side of the balance where Jesus is saying, you know what, I want you to walk alongside them. I want you to love them like I loved you. I want you to remind them of the redemption that they have. And so which side of the scale are we tipping on when we call other people out? And this is what what I mean by when we are supposed to love people as Christ did even in judgment. Jesus was just. He corrected people. But he also walked alongside them. He invited them to, to partake in his mission. And he would sit with them in the midst of their brokenness. And that seems like a lot more work than just condemning people, honestly. Because you could just walk away. You can condemn them, you can shame them, and you can leave them. And yet Christ always took the harder path. If you've never heard that before, Jesus has never called us to live the easier life while we're still here on earth. And if you need proof of that, if you honestly need proof of that, look at the way that Jesus lived. There is no way he took the easy road that led him to die on the cross for us. So why is that so hard for us to believe? Why is it so hard for us to act out loving people in the midst of us, us trying to judge them with the spirit of gentleness? And it's because Jesus has honestly called us to flip our lives, to live co- something completely opposite, to go against every sinful nature that we have ever had, that we were born with. And he's saying, you know what, I want you to live differently. I want you to fight to not be selfish and prideful. I want you to fight to not be lustful and self-righteous. I want you to fight to not condemn people. But I want you to fight to love people. Even the hardest to love. Even your enemies. Not only love them, but I want you to walk alongside them. As hard as it might be. 
And that's why in the passage today, again, I see that we are not to condemn, but we are to love as Christ did even in this judgment. And that leads us to verse 3 through 5. You guys want to follow along? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I grew up in Chicago my whole life. Uh, my whole childhood I was there. Um, and as I was growing up, I absolutely loved going to youth group. Um, I, for the most part, honestly. Um, but I would go every week. Um, there was one particular night, though, that we were uh, at our youth group. And so me and my friends, we were, we were entering a time of music. And me and my friends were going to go up to the front to do a lot of what I see the Torch students now, which I absolutely love. They, they love um, just getting up to the front and just uh, singing loudly, clapping, jumping, whatever it might be. And so we were like... Well, we see this at concerts all the time that we go to, so why should it be any different in, in our youth group? Why should it be any different in our church? And so we're like, all right, let's go do this. Um, I'm not saying that we, I mean, we, I'm sure we were to some extent obnoxious to some people, um, just knowing me. <laughs> but uh, later that night, we found out that a lot of the leaders who were on the music team uh, were actually bashing our names. And they were, they were bashing our names to one of our friends so much. I still don't even know what they said to this day, but uh, it, it just broke down my friend in tears because it hurt her heart so much. And so that, and she, she's always been a, a great friend to me, so I, it took personal offense of that. Like, you, you're not even just hurting me. You're hurting my, my, one of my sisters in Christ. And so I, I started getting... I started getting really angry about it. At 16 years old, I I was really pissed off at it. I didn't think that we did anything wrong. And then I find out later that the youth pastor knew about this, and he's like, you know what, let's just try and cover it up. Let's not not try and set reconciliation. Let's, Let's just cover it up. Let's push it in the back. And at that time, I was very much a person who wanted to seek justice, if you couldn't tell by my past stories. And so, um, and since I didn't see anything happening... I, I would pursue hard after justice. That, that was my heart. That, that's what I wanted to see. That what they did was wrong, and they had to be known for it. And so uh, before I get into what I actually did, let me, let me confess that I actually did seek out as many people as I've been able to seek out and ask for forgiveness and tell them that I was completely wrong. The way I handled it was completely wrong. Let's just throw that out there. <laughs> um, but the next thing I did as the youth pastor tried covering it up, um, Facebook can be a really nasty tool sometimes. Uh, I wrote a message of everything that happened. Uh, I, I, I called the, the leaders phonies in their faith. I called them uh, hypocrites. I called them all these things. And uh, I didn't just send it to those leaders trying to seek reconciliation because it really wasn't. Um, I sent it to every student in the youth group. I sent it to every parent of the student in the youth group. I sent it to every leader in the youth group. And I sent it to every elder of the church. And I'm like, this is wrong, and I need to see judgment happen. I I was wronged, and and they wanted to cover it up. So, of course, expose them for who they are. Why not? Tell everyone of who they really are. They're they're cowards. They're phonies. Uh, Let the ones know that they're leading know who they are. Let the ones that are leading them know who they are. They, they need to know, they, because I'm going to tell the world because they're wrong and I'm right. 
and they needed to be convicted. Right? No. I mean, I was, I was wronged. And I, what, I, what I didn't know that I wish I knew now is whether or not I was in the right in the beginning. The way I handled it completely, my heart was completely in the wrong spot. Uh, I was completely, I had this huge plank in my eye uh, just trying to seek out uh, just this self-justice and this pride. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his heart. So I got a plank. Jesus talks about how it's supposed to be in our eye. I mean, this would be ridiculous, right? Like, if you did this, I want to know the story. Like, this is, this is huge. <laughs> this, this is what Jesus is getting at. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. But this, this, is, this is where we're at sometimes. Like, we, we honestly don't see this in our eyes. We, we, were, we have this completely blind eye to it, and Jesus refers to whether it's sawdust or a plank, that, that that's the sin in our lives. And it, it, he uses it so perfectly because of just how easily sin can blind us. That we, we absolutely have no idea what's going on. We, can, we think that we're in the right, but we're not. And for a lot of us, we think that these specks or planks could just be one-time events. Or, that, or sorry, that they need to be habits. But a lot of times, they are just one-time events. That there was one time in, in your life that you were shamed... And so, unfortunately, you, you took that on your identity, so your first action is to try and shame others. Well, there was a time that, that you, were, you, were, you were wrong, you were convicted. And you're like, man, like if I'm convicted, then other people should be convicted. And so you start convicting others. But unfortunately, throughout all that, we, we, don't, we don't see this huge plank in our eyes. We ignore it. We don't want to deal with it. And so why do we focus so much on other people rather than ourselves? Why is our inclination to do that? Uh, first off, it, it could be our arrogance um, or our pride. Proverbs 21.4 talks about the haughty or arrogant eyes of the proud and, and a proud heart or sin. Secondly, our ignorance. Um, it could be just us ignoring the fact that it's actually happening because there's actually a fear inside us that we don't want to find out why we actually do what we do. That we want to stay away from that as much as possible. Or there's a fear that, that it might bring pain if we actually start digging deeper in our hearts, that we actually start examining our hearts. Thirdly, it could be our laziness. And even though this could be used as an answer, I honestly think that when, when, we, when we tend to get lazy about doing certain things, about pulling, trying to see the plank in our own eyes, it's, it's usually because we're afraid to find out that it could be one of the two reasons above, or both. Ultimately, it's our, it's our human nature. I mean, it's our sin that encourages us to focus so much on others and their shortcomings and their failures more than ourselves because we can inflate ourselves with pride. We can put on a facade of strength and say that we have everything together so nicely. We can avoid any fears and, of weakness and pain um, that we have in our hearts, but yet Jesus calls us and directs this passage to examine our hearts. Stop criticizing others and examine your hearts. And so what's the benefit of this? The benefit is is that we no longer have to live with the facade that we do have everything together, that we live perfectly, that we have it, all of our ducks in a row. It allows us to accept our shortcomings, our imperfections, because of what sin has done. And so it allows us to be okay with the mess up of our lives. But how can we be okay with all this? It's because we have a God 
who became man and did everything perfect so that one day he would take away every one of those failures, those insecurities and those shortcomings completely on the cross with him. So let's say you're ready to open, open your heart to start examining it. How do we even do it? First, we have to realize that we can't do it without Jesus Christ. We can't keep trying to do the same thing over and over again without the one who actually heals, without the one that actually redeems. That's Jesus Christ. And then, as soon as we realize that, then we can start pursuing this the way that Christ has called us into. And he, he lived it out. And I think it's two huge things. It's humility and honesty. Jesus was always honest, and Jesus always did things with, with humility. It's, it's the Father who, who does all these things. And so that's what we have to do as well. We have to be humble enough with ourselves to realize and be honest enough with our hearts to say, you know what, God, I need you. I need you because this plank in my eye just seems really stuck. I don't know what to do about it. And let's, so let's say we didn't examine ourselves. What's the flip side of not doing what Christ has called us? And we see that in verse 5. It says, you hypocrite. Hypocrite. You'd be known as a person who pretends, who's deceitful, and goes back on his word. And so why is that? Because someone who is not able to examine themselves, who are they to examine others? If they still have this plank in their eye, why would they be the ones to call somebody out? Right? And because of the fact that they can't realize that they need to to depend on Jesus for grace and, and love... They won't be able to extend it themselves to other people. They won't be able to appropriately connect with people and and correct them in the way that they should go. And to add to that, you lose any kind of a credibility. You lose any kind of authority when you're a hypocrite. Right? I mean, no one wants to, to, to listen to people that live something completely opposite that they're saying. Another thing that happens when you're a hypocrite is that you get really good at rationalizing your sin. Oh, no, 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 I'm not bad because, because these people are worse. Or, no, 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 this isn't that bad, and I've been working on it. So right now where I'm at, that's okay. I don't, I don't need to touch that right now. But again, when you rationalize those things, we forget the characteristics of who God is, that he's a redeemer, that he's the one that extends love, he's the one that extends grace. And because we forget that, we no longer can extend that to other people. That when we actually, when Jesus talks about being able to gently come along in the spirit of gentleness and correct a brother, we will not be able to do that. Because that's not the fruit of our heart. Christ has yet to impact our heart because we, have, we haven't allowed him to. And it's amazing that Christ uses... An eye in his analogy. I mean, the eye is so delicate, more than any other body part. I mean, you guys have probably have all had it when you had something stuck in your eye. I mean, Sally and I were on a walk the other week, and I got a bug in my eye, and for 30 minutes, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And like, she had to help me along the path because I didn't know what I was doing. I was pretty much useless. But Jesus purposely used an eye for how delicate it is, especially when it comes to judgment. I mean, this is how we're supposed to approach judgment, delicately. We're not supposed to come in here just trying to just bash doors down, but we're supposed to care for the person's heart. I mean, if you needed medical care on your eye because you had something stuck in it, wouldn't you much rather have a doctor that knew what he was doing, that had the appropriate tools and was delicate with your eye, rather than a boxer getting his boxing glove on ready to try and punch it out? I mean, you want the appropriate person that can do it and... Even on top of that, wouldn't you want your surgeon to have clear vision of what he was doing? Wouldn't you want him to have a clear eye himself? And the only one that has the clearest eyes to do that is Jesus Christ. 
I mean, he was blameless. He never sinned. He never sinned in his life. And he's the only one to clearly take out the planks in our eyes with compassion. And so let's be honest. In God's eyes, all sin's the same. Every single one of us have a plank in our eye. But as, as he takes each plank out of our eye, each one of us, you know what he did with them? He took them on the cross with them. And he hung there with them. And he died. So that we can be redeemed. That's what he did with our planks. That's what he continues to do with our planks. And so uh, we don't have time to really get into verse 6. Um, but mainly, uh, the big thing I want you guys to take out of it is that as it talks about don't give the dogs what is sacred or the, to the pigs what is pearls because they don't know what to do with them. Um, sometimes it's okay to just walk away from people. Sometimes as you're trying to call them out, even if it's in the spirit of compassion and love and redemption, sometimes it's just okay to walk away. Because who is, who is, it, who is it on then? Who are they truly rejecting? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ and the message that you're trying to give. As soon as you think that you start taking this pride upon themselves, like how dare they reject me? Then we're not, we're not trying to correct them in the way that they should go. We're not having the spirit of gentleness. We're actually just trying to shame them. So sometimes it's just okay to walk away. Jesus did it with the rich young ruler, if you guys want to read into that story. But ultimately, if we believe what Jesus Christ has told us, that God is the final judge, we might not agree with everything that everyone always does. I mean, we won't. We'll run into issues with people. But hopefully we can clearly see that Jesus Christ is the one that redeems, that he's the one that has everything under control, that we have to be comfortable with enough that, G- that God is the one that's going to correct them, that God's the one that's going to convict, that it's his job to convict and not ours. So why are we doing it if he's sovereign? And lastly, if you truly want to say to someone else's, and if you really want to say something into someone else's life, there's one place we need to start. We need to love them. We need to love them, and the way that we love them is the way that Christ loved them. We need to invest in them. We need to spend time with them. We need to sit in the pit of their distress and weep with them because they need to know that we care about them before we do anything of correcting them. They need to know that we are trying to love them with Christ's love before we do anything else. So we are not, a, we are not to condemn people, but we are to love people as Christ did even in judgment. Pray with me. Um, Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for the opportunity to just speak on your word, to speak about the planks in our own eyes. And so, Father, I just pray that uh, as you convict, as you lead, that you make it clearly um, where our hearts are at. Let us be able to examine our hearts. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's not the easy path, but God, you have called us to flip our lives, to follow after you, where, where things get hard sometimes. But God, remind us that we have you. Remind us that you redeem. Remind us that we are to extend this love to others, that we're not just supposed to keep to ourselves, but we're just supposed to extend this grace and love and patience to everybody else so that they can know you through our lives. Thank you for allowing us to come on board with your mission in life. And we just pray as we go from here that we're people that can live this out mightily. Praise in your name. Amen. Thank you.